The Story in Your Head, Episode 2, Leadership. Welcome to the podcast, The Stories in Your Head, where we explore how the stories in your head can influence your action and the actions of others. This is Michelle Masago. And this is Ron Macklin. So today we're going to talk about leadership. Leadership is an interesting topic. If you talk to five people and ask them what leadership is to them, you probably get 10 answers. So Ron, how do you hold leadership? Thanks, Michelle. Leadership, which is an action, it's a skill, and it's about creating a story for yourself first, but creating a story that enables you or somebody else to follow. Like you live a better life by following the story. And that can be a story for yourself. It can be a story for somebody else because you can lead yourself or you can lead somebody else in life. But when you listen to the story, you can say, Ooh, if I follow that, I'll have a better life. And that is anything that produces that kind of a outcome, a situation, an interpretation around what's happening. Those are leadership actions or leadership moves. And only if there's a follower is there a leader. If there's no follower, and it could all be the same person. Like I could make an action to lead myself, and I could follow myself in the stories I made up. I do it all the time. Therefore, we have a leader and a follower, and it's the same person. But if I take an action and nobody follows me, there's no leading. All right, great, thanks. So we're back to that story thing. What a theme. How do you create that story? Well, it would be nice if I could just say I crafted it one time and it was done. And then I just use that story for a long time, but it's never happened that way. I'm always running experiments on what are the stories that work on myself? What are the stories that work with others? What are the stories that work with me wanting to follow or others wanting to follow? And the fundamental is it can't be a space that you get harmed by the story. So it can't be manipulative or tricking or anything like that. It's got to be open. It's got to be honest. It's got to be authentic. And that way, when when it goes forward, and it never goes forward perfectly, there's always bumps in the road, or as we say, we don't get the results we're looking for, then there's a space where like, you can go, okay, let's try a new story, modify that story, try a different story. And those are those stories that we keep trying and creating. And some of the stories work pretty well for a period of time, and then they don't work anymore. And you have to have new stories. Thanks. What do you think is missing from leadership today out of those stories that people may or may not have? Well, there's, I think there's a couple things. So the first part of that story is being responsible for the story. And most people, they, they collapse responsibility and blame. Like, well, if I'm responsible, then that means they can blame me. Yes and no. Being responsible means that you say, I'm going to take responsibility of making sure something happens. Doesn't mean you'll have it on the first time or the second time or the third time, but you're going to be responsible for it, right? And first thing about leadership is being responsible that, oh, I, I, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to take the responsibility that I'm going to craft a story and I'm going to follow a story. And if it doesn't work, we're going to go back and look at the story again and keep going back to it and just be even responsible where one of the things that's missing is they go like, oh, I screwed that one up. I can't get that, and I'm no good at this. 
I can't make, I can't be a leader and just keep being responsible and keep going forward. That's one of the, the first thing that's missing. The second thing that's missing is that the mechanic of leader follower, even though it could be the same person, the mechanic of leader and follower. So to be a great leader is also to be a great follower. Being a great follower means you're looking at what, what stories are being offered and saying, okay, I can see how that could work. Versus orienting to the thing, I can see how that won't work. Because that's the story you have before in your head, before you ever heard the person speak, is to create a space that says, I see how that could work. And then you listen for the story and, and you begin to see where those things are. Does that mean it will always work? No. What that means is, if you say it won't work, it really won't work. If you say it will work, it's got a shot at working. And so being a great follower is being able to shape the stories in your head while you're listening to somebody's leadership offer and say, I think I could see how this could work. Yeah, thanks. Do you have an example in your career where it worked or it doesn't work or both? I've got lots of examples of where it worked <laughs> and it didn't work. Or yeah, I got a pretty long list myself. <laughs> it didn't work on the first try, that's for sure. Like, this is good. I'm, I'm going to go with one from my time at Siemens. And it was where I came into an organization to where my intention was to take an organization that basically two, every two years for the last 10, 12 years, the manager came in and failed and left. Like they didn't fail like, you know, the business collapsed, but they didn't get what they were wanting out of it. And the company didn't and neither did the managers that came in. And when I was brought in to come in to do this, there was a space where they had all these people, right? And they're, they're great people, right? The, the space is to figure out where do I find the people that have the gifts and the desires to lead and are willing to follow in a certain area, right? So then we, we just couldn't fire everybody and hire new because that would we stopped the business. When I started to craft who was going to do on what jobs, we ran several experiments. One particular experiment we ran which was we crafted a narrative for somebody who occurred to us as somebody who everybody would get along with. Everybody liked him. He was friendly. He knew everybody. He had the experience in the business. We put him into a role to manage the largest group of people in the organization. And he was, like he had the technical expertise on how to run, how to do the job. He's been out on the field. He's done all the work. So he understood everything about that. When we set him up to, to go into the position, we ran the story of how does he, how can he shape and take care of people's lives and to do that and to fit us into that. And we asked him if he's, is something he wants to do? I did. And he said, yes, this would be really great. I'd love to do this job. This would be fantastic. He had the ability to lead himself. He never built the skill to lead anybody else to where they wanted to follow him. And we tried coaching and creating new stories and new spaces for him. And what I was missing from that was where was his ability to lead others? Although successful project manager, successful engineer, successful technical person, good guy, right? But his stories about how to lead other people, he didn't have them and he didn't have the desire to build them. And we didn't know that. We thought, well, everybody wants to do this job, right? They say they want to do it. They want to do it. Oof, that's not right. That doesn't work. 
So after about two years of him doing the job, I finally said, okay, this is, this is not working. Let me say that the hate and discontent inside the ranks of the people who travel, which he had a, probably 120 people working for him, but he had managers working for him, but he still had 120 people that were he's responsible for. And we finally decided to make a change. This is the thing that it was a great learning, right? I pulled him out of the job, found him another place to go. He was a viable employee. We didn't want to let him go. He just, that wasn't, it wasn't his thing, right? And then a week later, one of the senior technicians that were reporting to him walked up to me and said, what took you so long? And I was going like, was that obvious to you? Yeah. We, we could, nobody could figure out why you waited so long to do that. Here I was, I was in a story about how do I help this guy become a leader? How do I work forward to that? And everybody else could see that this is not what he wanted to do. And they were like waiting to see when was I going to change him out. Now, the next person we put into that job, we decided, okay, so we got to have somebody who knows how to lead other people, who cares about other people, who knows what they're doing, who cares about how people are going to follow him. Like they craft narratives people want to follow. As we're looking around for that, and I'm looking around going like, I don't clearly the one we just did didn't work. That doesn't mean everybody who has that guy's background says you can't use them, right? Or that in that space. That's not the, the intent. Somebody came to me and said, what about the finance guy? I go, to manage 100 plus technicians? He goes, yeah, he's really good with people. What do you mean he's good with people? How does that work? He goes, well, you ask him. He'll know the names of all the people that work in the business and their kids' names. He goes, he knows their kids' names? I go, yeah, he does. So I went and asked, went and talked to him about it. And this fundamental space was he had never managed more than two or three people. But he had this skill that was to care about the people and to help the people understand why what they do helps the company perform. So we put the finance manager in the position with lots of interpretation from the managers at headquarters in Florida. And because they were going like, you're putting a finance guy in charge of 120 technicians? And I said, yes. Is it my call? They said, yes. I said, okay, that's what I'm doing. Within three months, the morale of the organization had shifted so dramatically because people were being led and they were wanting to follow him. Now, when I look at this story, there's the part about the first person and the second person and how they could lead or not lead, right? I go back to how I led myself. I had a position to fill. The first person I put in, I didn't treat it like an experiment. I treated it like, okay, this is going to work and I'm going to make it work. And that's the story I had in my head. And that's really not a very powerful story for that person versus letting them be the follower. I was going to push them through the leadership process. And then when I resigned myself to say, if he doesn't want to do this, he doesn't want to do this. And no matter how much he says he wants to do it, his actions don't say he wants to do it. Not to throw him out, but to find a place where he can contribute. And then be open to, to the group to say, what do you guys notice? What do you think is important? Where do you go? And then bring the team together, include all the different thoughts. And the guy who was in charge of our tooling facility said, 
hey, what about this guy? Finance guy, right? And yes, he did exactly have the characteristic that we could do that. So I turned away from being, I'm going to choose who goes in there to I'm going to follow. My leadership move is to follow the guy in charge of the tooling facility as he notices, because he's, he's from a distance, but he's still close enough to know them, but not in the middle of it. He's got a great view to see what skills would be necessary. Follow their leadership. We put the person in space to take on that role. And then I just said, his name was Don. I said, Don, let me know what you need. And I'll be here to check in probably once a day, noon, drop down to once every two days, and maybe once a week. Let me know what you need. And, oh, he had some troubles and he had some bumps along the road, but he was committed to it. And I think the only person who was more scared about the whole process than me was him. And it was a pleasure to work with. And so that's my examples of where it didn't work and where it did work. And inside of that, what I noticed for myself is there's leading as a leader. That was my role. Following as a leader, because that is also how I get help from everybody else around me and include them into what we're doing. And then enabling the other people to lead at the right time and the right moment, which is part of the biggest role that I had as a leader was to know when to let other people lead and when to let other people follow, which was so different than I'm the leader. I'll tell you what to do when you get done. Tell me you're done. Thanks, Ron. That's an amazing story. A couple things come to mind for me. Oh, if I want to be a leader, right? Yeah, I can go out and read some leadership books and all sorts of things, but but where do I start? You know, you talked about leading yourself. Is that where you start? Do you have to start there? And what's sort of the progression if you wanted to lead? Great question. Michelle, the first place I would recommend anybody to start is with yourself. And that is being a leader of yourself and being a follower of yourself. And then craft the narratives knowing that you won't get it right, knowing that you'll screw it up and you'll learn, right? And the only learning that really matters is the one you, you do on the field, on the court, in the world. Things that have real consequences, right? Like income and profitability and those things. That's where the, that's where the learning really happens. So if you're going to lead yourself, lead yourself in those situations. Make them public. I'm leading myself in this domain. Speak it out loud. I'm following myself in this domain. Speak it out loud. The second step, after you've led and followed yourself, right? Turn yourself into a follower of others. Make them great leaders. It's a different skill. It's seeing them as the leader. It's noticing their speaking as a leader. It's being willing to help out. It's being able to fulfill. It's knowing when to have a conversation in public because you're going to say you want to bring forth something for the whole group or when to have a conversation in private because you're just going to lead that person in a conversation and then they in turn lead you in public to make them successful, to make them be successful. And then you'll notice yourself and you'll notice them in so different a way that when you go to lead other people, you will have that experience to know what it feels like for the people who you're going to lead. Is leading is about crafting stories that the other person can hold and 
they will want to follow. If you don't have the, I don't really call it empathy, but it, it, people can call it that. You know, the empathy, if you don't have the, what the stories are in the followers' heads, you're just really just shooting in the dark. There's no way to know how it's going to land and how they're going to hear it. And so once you become a good follower, now you have the understanding of what the other person is going to feel as you speak because you've already experienced it. When you see their facial expressions, you can go, I know that facial expression. You're confused. I know that facial expression. You're scared shitless. I know that facial expression. You got it. Right? Because you felt those same expressions. You've felt those. And we all think we have good poker faces, but very few people actually have really good poker faces. Most of us, all of our emotions are on our face. If we take the time to learn what it feels like for us, then we can know what they're going to be feeling as well. And at that moment, you can be dancing with them in a way that they can go, I want to follow you because what you're saying makes sense. I, I can make this work. And that's the first step is leading yourself, following yourself. That's all part of the same thing. And then following others. And then when you have those three done, leading yourself, following yourself, and then following others, then it's time to go out and practice leading others. Thanks. I want to talk about followership a little bit. I think that's a very underrated role. And the reason I say that, I've been pretty successful in parts of my career of being a very powerful follower in addition to leading. What's your thoughts about followership and how important is that? Great, Michelle. I spoke a little bit earlier. Without a follower, there is no leader. You're just a goofy person running through the woods, right? Like, Like wherever you're going, you know, you're all alone. And people look at you like, why are they doing that, right? But if you have a follower, they go, oh, I get what's going on. So followership is the most important part of being a leader. Because without a follower, there is no leadership. When I look at followership, the first place I start is what is my way of being? Do I trust this person? Do I choose to trust this person? And that's a, that's a funny question. You go, well, well, trust is like, because I've done this, I trust them. Or because I've done that, I don't trust them. Or I trust them to not be trustworthy, right? And those are just stories we made up in our heads from past experiences. Question is, do you trust them now? And if you choose to trust them, how they show up will be different. If you choose them to be caring, if you choose them to be insightful, if you choose them to be open, if you choose them to be caring and brilliant, right? You will see those things inside there when they're speaking to you. And as a follower, the responsibility is to help the leader take care of everybody and to create your way of being so that you can be with them, right? And they, I don't care what the leader is, who the leader is, what they're doing. If everybody in the group looks at them and goes, this guy's an asshole, this gal's an asshole, I don't trust them. They're surely not smart enough. They, they went to the wrong school. They, they're connected to somebody. That's why they got this job. If you have those stories in your head, you will not be able to follow them. You may be charming. You may look like you're following. But what you're really working on is how to sabotage them so that they don't have a job anymore. That's not following. That's being an enemy and a camouflaged one 
at that or covert. So the first stage of being a follower is to craft your way of being to be there. Now, does that mean the person that you're following won't make mistakes? No. Does that mean that whatever you do, you're going to blindly follow them? No. But if you start with that point and you can see what they're doing, you can be of help to them. If you set out to sabotage them, that's what you will be doing. And that's not, sabotage is not a following move. That's a leading move. You're leading the group to basically undermine somebody. And following is, and there's a space. There's always a space, right? Because every leader, and I want to say this really slow, every leader is afraid. I don't care how confident they may look while they're up there, how fit, how able, how beautiful, how nasty looking, how whatever they want to create in that space, inside they're still scared and they're looking for help because being up in front of people as a leader is a scary position. And when you're there to help them, you will become an ally to them so quickly and they will want to help you grow your career to do that. That's the key. Thanks, Ron. That was amazing. You know, when I think about followership, I go back to a story that I saw actually on YouTube a long time ago, and it was a a big field. People sit around having picnics and blankets, and this guy gets up and starts dancing goofy, you know, and everybody kind of looks at him and, you know, as people would, right, slowly backing away. And he's up there, and I am sure he's scared to death. But then an amazing thing happens is somebody gets up and joins him, right? The first follower, the first person had the courage to say, something's up with this guy. So he gets up and guess what happens? Then another guy gets up and then the third guy gets up. And then before you know it, the whole field, everybody's dancing with this goofy guy and having a blast. And I always remember that when I think about followers, especially the courage, that if you see something, it's like, God, this guy's got something. Maybe I'll follow him and have the courage to do that. So I I agree with you. It's a very powerful role Mm -hmm. um, and one that at times can be extremely underrated for a lot of people. What I love about your story is the word courage, right? Somebody had the courage in your, your story, right? Somebody had the courage to dance weird. The person who had the most courage was the second person to start dancing that way. The first person did it. The whole world wasn't wasn't watching, right? They started to watch, but they weren't watching in that moment. But the second guy, the whole world's now, whole group in this field, they're all watching the weird guy dance, and the second guy comes in, and he's going to join him, and that takes an amazing amount of courage. And that follower is what enabled everybody else to follow. Yeah, and how cool is that? And I don't know that it matters anything about whether it's dancing in a field or building a business or setting up a new organization or taking on a new challenge or working in your family. It's the first person and the second person's courage that creates a space for them to do that. Can you think of any examples in your life where maybe you've been that first follower? There's a couple of them I'm I'm working through, which one I, I can share the best story on. There was a safety training observation program. I've got lots of examples here, but I'm going to go with this one. It was made put out by DuPont. 
It was the STOP program, STOP, and I can't remember. God, it's been 25 years ago. But anyway, it came out. And a girl named Beth, and I don't remember her last name, she was out of Penn Hall, which is up around Pittsburgh. And they came up with this program, and they rolled it out throughout the entire organization. I was a relatively new project manager. She had Bonnie Weaver. And Bonnie Weaver had rolled out this whole program to everybody, right? And what it was is it had these little cards, and you had to actually stop and go through and review everything twice a day. And they sent them all out, and most of the cards went back in the envelopes still unwrapped. Like they sent them out, and then people just sent them back. Right? They didn't, nobody did anything. And I took the program and I was going like, huh, what if we actually stopped twice a day and actually wrote, you know, looked at what we're doing and assessed it from a safety standpoint? What would happen? I don't know. So I was like the only one at that time who did that. But I didn't know that. All I knew was I wanted to get this done. I wanted to get going. I just said, okay, how are we going to make this work? And somebody said, I think it was someone named Ron Coach said, why don't we just do it twice a day and make it a requirement? You got to do it twice a day. I said, beautiful. Everybody has to send in two of these a day. Even if you send in like nothing to report, you have to stop twice a day, fill this out, send it in. And send it in means you just put a little uh, stand with a little box on it, you know, and you just slide them in there, like the suggestion box. So everybody had to put two of them in and sign your name. So we knew everybody was doing what they were supposed to be doing. And our safety incident rate was, well, we had zero. Zero recordable injuries. I think we had a couple of first aids. And our incident rate was probably at the best it had ever been in the history of working in that particular project or any project. And so I sent it all in and I, I sent it back and then I got this huge box of pretzels in the mail. And I was going like, what, what are we doing with this, right? And it was from Bonnie Weaver who said, you're the only one who did it. And because of that, I have data now that the executives have said, everybody's going to do this. But if you hadn't done that, we would have no data. We wouldn't know what was going on. We wouldn't have any proof that it worked or not. And so I was the first follower. And all I did was follow. They said, do this. I said, okay. Now, we went on to set many different records for safety. I think we went for five or six outages without any recordable injuries or reportable injuries. Actually, at one particular site. And it's all following the same process, right? Now, we just make it part of our habits, right? where we went 5 million hours, 5 million man hours without recordable injury, or no, lost time injury, excuse me. So much so that when we had our first lost time injury, we didn't. nobody knew how to do anything because we'd been so long we forgot how to find the forms and do all the stuff we had to do. And what it did is it shifted the whole organization because of my followership. Great story, Ron. And thank you very much for sharing that. So I want to thank you today. It was a great conversation where we talked about leadership from a broad standpoint, but then focused in on two areas, one leading yourself, and the second one is the power of followership. So in the next one, maybe we can explore leading others. Great next yeah, topic. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Great topic. So listen in for that next topic. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the story in your head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time.